Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC Vegas 39. I'm Paul Shaughnessy and glad to be joined by the power of Zoom by Cody Savick. Not that I want him in the same room, but I worry that he would burn Pat Mayo's house down if he was here in studio with me because the kid is way too hot right now. He's every, bo- uh, every bookie trembles when he hears the name Cody Saftik. Well, that three three in a row PRPs. Bellator kind of a PRP as well, but like he didn't pick all the fights because there was a bunch of like dusty uh, European. I mean, it, the run that you are on right now is godlike. I see people posting Jesus uh, memes of you, and it's rightfully deserved. Yeah, you guys are obviously far too kind, man. We're on a good run. We've had a, a tremendous amount of fun with it. People, If people would ever suggest that hitting our PRP was a fluke, well, then we hit another one. And then just for good measure, we took down a Bellator PRP and a uh, contender series as well. So, yeah, times have been good. We've been having a ton of fun with it. Is the cold streak just around the corner? Well, MMA's got so many variances that something's bound to go wrong eventually. But we're riding the high while we can. We've got a 10-fight offering here. I actually enjoy that. Normally, I like 12 fights on a card, but... I'd rather limit the options so that I don't blow something because this is a tough fight. Now, a tough card in general. Our biggest concern here is not hitting the PRP. That's always just extra gravy, baby. It's about hitting that top ticket. And this is a week where it's time. It's hard to even find material that you want to use at the top of the ticket. But one of the things I do every fight week right before I lock in my plays is talk to my boy Paul Shaughnessy. So let's figure it out together, brother. All right, main event. We've got Mackenzie Dern taking on Marina Rodriguez. Minus 170 Dern. Plus 150, Rodriguez. I feel like every single time Mackenzie Dern fights on a card, I go, well, you know, she doesn't really have great wrestling. Da, 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 da. And, uh, you know, she she isn't able to put the fight where she really needs to get it done. And it, it really doesn't seem to, f- to matter whatsoever. She's obviously making major improvements. A lot of people would have said, like, after, you know, giving birth to her child, uh, there was a lot of people doing the old hashtag mom fade. And that did not work out all that well for her. She actually returned from having the child much more motivated and in better shape than we had ever seen her before. Marina Rodriguez should have massive advantages on the feet, much more cleaner striker, um, more power, obviously, in those hands, I would probably say. But uh, I don't want to step in front of Dern again. She's she's cost me a whole bunch of money. And whereas I don't love her wrestling, I don't love her ability to get to the ground. Like, if she throws, like, an overhand right and then it becomes, like, a wild scramble, it doesn't take much for her to scoop up a submission. So I'm leaning towards Dern right now, but I want to hear your take. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't really have a strong take on this women's main event. I mean, it all comes down to is this fight going to hit the ground at some point? Because there's five rounds to work with, and one would probably lean towards yes. The fight will hit the ground at some point. If it's on the ground, Dern's going to be leaps and bounds better than Rodriguez. And Rodriguez at 34 years old is not going to be able to shore up that gap in grappling. If Dern's on top, big, 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 big problems. If if Dern's on her back, still not the end of the world. She can hit a sweep from here. She can hit a submission from here. And because it's five rounds, it's not as simple as Mackenzie Dern just gets sprawled and brawled for two rounds. It's she's got five rounds to work with. And at some point, figures to get the fight to the ground but stand up it's all rodriguez so it does come down to dern's wrestling just like you mentioned dern actually wrestled in high school never wrestled collegiately kind of went into grappling after that 
uh, obviously a, a high-level Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, but you're right. Her wrestling's never been all that good. And in a lot of these spots, Hannah Cyphers, uh, Ronda Marcos, like she's relying on her opponent making a bonehead decision and following her to the ground instead of her getting these clean takedowns. But I'll give it to her, man. You're uh, absolutely correct. Her last two fights, she shored up her game big time. Not just her wrestling. Grappling's always been good, but the striking as well. So now she's got a little more confidence that she'll just sling the right hand. She'll sling a few leg kicks, and then she'll hopefully just create a scramble, create like a, a, a chaotic moment in the fight, and then capitalize on that situation, get the fight to the ground. Once the fight's on the ground, got a big advantage. So traditionally or historically, when you look at Marina Rodriguez, yeah, all of her losses, Paul, have been against grapplers, right? If you're able to get her to the ground, you're going to have a ton of success. <clears throat> Carlos Sparza, split decision loss. The Cynthia Calvillo fight was a wrestler, was a draw. Ronda Marcos fight is another draw. If you can take her down, yeah, that that's the key. As far as her stand-up goes, man, she's going to beat up during standing. Uh, so this is going to be a dicey fight, man, straight up. I think you're going to get a much better line live than the minus 170 during that you would bet right now, mm -hmm. simply because she doesn't figure to win the three, first three, four minutes, right? No. She's probably going to come out. She's going to dance around from the outside. She's going to get her lead leg kicked. She's going to eat a couple jabs, maybe a right hand, and she's going to just try to figure out that gauge, try to figure out the distance. She might even kill off a round off the, uh, off the uh, scorecards. Then you can hit a, probably a much better uh, line on Dern. But as far as my pre-fight prediction goes, and I know I'm going to have to make one eventually, like I have a few days to sit on it and think about it, but as far as the show's purposes go, I'll go with Dern because I think eventually this fight is going to hit the ground and that'll be her moment. Either she gets like a third or fourth round stoppage or she figures out a way how to tire this girl out, grind on her, keep her up against the cage, and then the takedowns start to become more frequent and she's able to just secure a decision victory in the long run. But hopefully hopefully the third or fourth round submission so I don't got to sweat it. We got Randy Brown ticking on Jared Gooden. Randy Brown, a minus 240 <laughs> favorite. Jared Gooden can be had for plus 195. Who you got here? Yeah, so you get another close dicey fight, but I think I'm going to go with Randy Brown on the basis of the volume. I mean, he's just such a long, gangly guy that if he stays to the outside, he can just pick away at you, outpoint you. And Randy Brown's another one of these guys that, honestly, I can make a strong argument for why Randy Brown was highly overrated, not that good through his first five, six fights in the UFC, but eventually he turns the corner. Eventually the starts, guy starts showing improvements, and it's been huge. Listen, his starts off Matt Dwyer fight, not very good. Loses to Michael Gray, is no longer with the promotion. Eric Montano, holy shit, dude, he was down two rounds before he got that guillotine in the third. Brian Camozzi, again, no longer with the promotion. Blal Muhammad, which he loses. Mickey Gall, come on, it's Mickey Gall. He's beating on pro wrestlers. Gets knocked out by Nico Price by hammer fist while he was on top. That's not a good run. That's a bad run. Mm -hmm. But again, the Brian Barberena fight is where you see, oh shit, technically, he's sound. He's very good on the outside. And a brawler like Brian Barberena has trouble closing the distance on him because he's got like a 78-inch reach, right? He stays to the outside. He picks away at you. The jab's on point. And okay, well, then we're going to have to drag this guy to the ground because you don't want to play the length game. Jesus, Worley Alves tried to play that game. And what happened? Brown tired him out. He cooked him. And he ends up submitting him. Big submission victory to go out there and, and triangle choke a BJJ black belt. Follows it up with the Vicente Luque fight. I'm, I'm not going to hold that against him, right? It's Vicente. But the Alex Oliveira fight. Now, Oliveira, I thought he was shot, shot to bits. And that's because Randy Brown really did make him look shot to bits. But you do see this past weekend. Oliver's still got something in the tank. He's not an easy out. Elite guys can blow right through him, but if not, he's going to drag you into some, some greasy waters. And Brown didn't have to go to those greasy waters, right? He outstruck him standing. Uh, he used that range. He avoided the, that big danger early, and then he eventually gets him down and he submits him. So I think this guy's well-rounded and he can do it all. But the biggest thing to me is that the volume, you know, the Barbarina fight, 89 fights, 89 significant strikes landed with a third-round TKO. That's all big because Jared Gooden, at least through the three fights in the UFC, 
it seems like he doesn't mind you his last fight he did but uh he doesn't let doesn't pull the trigger enough he kind of allows his opponent to lead the dance joban mostly just matadored him stayed to the outside and used his speed advantage to outstrike him abubakar Nurmagomedov only needed one takedown but besides that he actually just stayed to the outside and outlanded him through more volume mm-hmm. and then nicholas dolce well he, he caught nicholas dolce and knocked him out really early right so when you see jared good and you see those those pectorals on him, that chest on him, the way this guy is jacked up and built the fact that he's huge for this weight class sure he's got a puncher's chance but i would like to think in the long run randy brown's made those improvements plays a smart game plan uses the jab and eventually the volume and the numbers take over so i'll go randy brown Yep, I'm with you as well. Um, much more, a better technical striker and uh, ever so slight reach advantage by the numbers, at least 78 inches for Randy Brown, 77 for good. And but I feel like Brown fights a lot longer than that than those numbers would suggest. Um, and I think grappling. I know he took on Abubakar, but and he wasn't able to get him down. He was only able to get him down once, as you were mentioning. But I feel like Randy Brown has shown, you know, some pretty decent submission skills when he gets it down there. So I'm with you. The price is a little bit steep, but... uh... Yeah, the last thing I would interject with is if you want to talk about experience, this is Brown's last run of fights. Bilal Muhammad's still cracking in the UFC name opponent, right? Mickey Gall, winning over Mickey Gall is a name thing. They only give you that fight if they're looking to build you, right? Nico Price is still a top 15 guy in the division. Brian Barbarino was a name guy. Worley Alves won the ultimate fighter. Vicente Luque is the next title challenger. Alex Oliveira is a big guy. He's fought a bunch of big names in a bunch of big spots, okay? This is a co-main event that Randy Brown is in the co-main event because he is Randy Brown, and he's built it up, and he's deserved it. And this is no credit to Jared Gooden. Jared Gooden's 1-2 and two in the UFC, coming off that lone win over Nicholas Stoltze, who's 0-2 in the UFC. Why is he in the co-main event, right? Because they're looking to push Randy Brown. Not so not the narrative no- ever means anything, but this is Randy's spot. To, this is his fight to win, and I'm just hoping he fights a good game plan like he's been doing and wins it. Well, in fairness to like the co-main event, main event on this card, honestly, <laughs> you could have put You're right. <laughs> pretty much any of these fights that we'll talk about later <laughs> right, in yeah. that exact slot, and nobody would be like, "Hey, why is Randy Brown versus Jared Gooden not in this spot?" Because like Mateus Nicolau versus Tim Elliott, um, I think the co-main event that could be the co-main event, or yeah, Alexander sure. Romanov versus Jared Vandera. You know, Romanov's one of the uh, more interesting heavyweight prospects in the division. So, I mean, the card is just kind of a mismatch of, hey, these people need fights before the end of 2021. But yeah, let's move on to uh, Mateus Nicolau taking on Tim Elliott. Nicolau minus 195, Elliott plus 165. Um, It feels like Tim Elliott, you know, back with Glory MMA and fitness that last time out, he was able to, like, the biggest problem with him so many times was he would just kind of go guns a-blazing right out of the gate, and he would completely cook himself by, like, six, seven minutes into the fight. That was not the case, really, against Jordan Espinoza, and I think a lot of that has to do with James Krause, James Krause being in his corner and having a proper game plan going into the fight. Now... You know, the DraftKings players will not like it as much because obviously the the fight rate and the amount of takedowns that he's going for and the significant strikes. He, he, he used to be like 
you know, very boom or bust. But when he boomed on like DraftKings for fantasy points, he'd go off. But I just think Nikolaou is, is on a different level. That split decision win over Manel Cop. I think that those are, you know, rising prospects in this division. And even though he's got a better team behind him at this point, I think he's just outgunned in a lot of places against Nikolaou here. So the pick is Nikolaou. What about you? Yeah, I couldn't agree more, man. I got to go with Nicolau. I, I agree with the assessment that Tim Elliott is definitely a better fighter when he's with James Cross mm-hmm. and Gloria Main Fitness. But he's at 33 years old in the amount of professional fights that he's had. He's just got a lot of wear and tear in his body. He's not that same Tim Elliott that can just grind on you in infinite rounds, right? He doesn't have 15-minute cardio. What he does have is seven or eight minutes, balls to the walls that he can ex- try to take you out. And then beyond that, he gets tired. And I know the Espinosa fight, he fought a better game plan, but nothing really happened in hindsight. He took down Jordan Espinosa, a former training partner of his, and then once on the ground, no submission attempts, 25 significant strikes landed by Tim Elliott over the course of 15 minutes, right? He had him in some bad spots where he's talking shit to him, actually cost Jordan Espinosa's job, but you know, didn't really do all that much. And speaking of costing a guy a job, his wins inside the UFC for Tim Elliott, Include all but one guy that have been released from the promotion, right? Jared Papazian, cut. Louis Godino, cut. Louis Smolk is hanging on to a contract. He's a bottom 25 guy, right? Mark De La Rosa's cut. Ryan Benoit's cut. And Jordan Espinosa is cut. So when he fights that level of competition, right? Guys that don't really belong in the UFC. Yeah, he does an excellent job. You know, he has fun fights. I mean, he takes them down 12 times. He scores a ton of points on DraftKings. Everybody's happy. He might sling up a guillotine. But when he starts to fight legitimate prospects, guys are in that top 10, he's nothing more than a fun fight. He's a guy that came out there and surprised the world for one round against Demetrius Johnson, right? Maybe won the first round against DJ. And then DJ figured him out and won the rest of the rounds. But, like, that's kind of the claim to fame. He won the Ultimate Fighter. He had a crazy round against DJ. And beyond that, he's just an exciting guy that you put out. If you put him out against a young stud, one of these up-and-comers, one of these guys that's fringe top 15, he just doesn't seem to be coming out on the other side. Matus Nicolau, meanwhile, this guy's been a stud since the get-go. He came out of the Ultimate Fighter, won against Bruno Correa. Second fight in the UFC, he fights John Moraga. John Moraga is a former UFC title challenger in his mid-30s. Wrestled collegially at Arizona State University. That's his second fight in the UFC. He's, a, he's an underdog. He goes out there and it's like, oh shit, this kid's got the goods. He too fights Lewis Smolko, only he kicked the shit out of him. Three knockdowns. Like, absolutely obliterated him. And then loses to Dustin Ortiz, who you and I will give you a pass on that. Dustin Ortiz is a stud. But a head kick knockout is a little questionable, and they cut him. They cut him because they caught a bunch of these flyweights. Yeah, and he the somehow. That day, right? Yeah. He somehow just was one of these guys that's like, oh, he lost at Ortiz, and we're cutting Ortiz, by the way, so allow him to go. But he's ultra-talented. He worked his way back into the UFC the right way. The win over Manal Kopp is just, you know, it shows he's got legitimate skills. Now, I, I personally thought Kopp might have won that fight, but Kopp is a high-level guy. He took him down twice. He outstruck him. He looked, got a little bit tired, but he had not fought, I think, in 18 months. This is good, man. Now he's got his, you know, UFC comeback out of the way, Full training camp. He spent like three months in extreme couture in Vegas, went back and finished his camp at Novi. And yeah, I don't care too much for that because he got to come all the way back to Vegas now. But regardless, you know, he's training at an elite level. He's 28 years old. He's improving day to day. And these are the kind of guys that Tim Elliott is not quite getting past. So completely agree. Matus Nicolau's the pick here. All right. Next one up. I don't have a hot take on it, but we got Sabina Mazo taking on Maria Agapova. Minus 165, Mazo, plus 145, Agapova. My biggest concern, if I was ever going to back Sabino Mazo, is can the opponent 
wrestle, and Maria Agapova showed against Shayna Dobson that she can not. Shayna Dobson? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that she yeah, can, like, you know, like basically, you know, got taken down <laughs> twice gas. against her, got or gassed out, got TKO yeah. in the second round. She hasn't been back since then. Mayo, uh, Mayo uh, was switching the show on that day. And we were like, man, don't. He's just like, women's MMA, man. Low level women's MMA. Let's bet. Like, I think he was like telling people on the show, we're sitting there at the desk telling them, you know, bet the eight to one. And hindsight's 2020. Mayo was uh, was bang on on that one. Um, I, I did not have the cojones to back him in that situation. But uh, clearly, and, you know, you know, you see what Shayna Dobson's done since then. She's cost me money because I was like, oh, wait a second. Maybe she's turning a court. Nope. Nope. I'm actually kind of surprised that Mazo is uh, only minus 165 here. Do you have any uh, insight on this one? Because um, I, can't, I can't imagine anybody's backing Agapova after losing to, Dawes, uh, to, to Dobson in, in such a way. Yeah, something something might be off because I don't know why it's minus one sixty five either. Sabita Mazo should be a minus three twenty five favorite, and I would expect it to swell out to where at least two to one by the time the fight goes off. This is a head scratcher to me. I couldn't tell you exactly why this is only minus one sixty five. But but instead of just making it my top ticket and my lock of the week, like I am, I am questioning. Well, what am I missing? Am I, did I not see something? But straight up, dude, if you just want to, we'll talk about the narrative. This fight's got the best narrative. Ooh, I, uh, I want to hear it. Yeah, yeah, the best. But we'll talk about the skills real quick here. So they're both 24 years old, but with Sabina Mazzo, she's a much more refined striker. Uh, she's going to throw a lot more volume. She's volume, 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 right? These shorter opponents are able to counter her over the top because she's got long limbs and she tends to leave it a little too long. She doesn't bring her hands quite back to a defensive guard quite away. But against someone like Agapova, she's not going to have to worry about that. She also struggles with the takedowns mightily. However, when you consider it's girls like Alexis Davis, who's a savvy veteran of the sport, strike force, fought for a world title in the UFC. Justine Keish, very strong Russian. She did win that fight in the end. Uh, like you do kind of somewhat give her a pass, right? With Agapova, she's got some good long rangey kickboxing, a nasty teep kick up the middle, but she's one of these person likes to come in and dominate you right away. And with Sabina Mazo, at the very least, her lone two losses in the UFC, Davis and Moroz, she, she hung, you know what I mean? She mm-hmm. took some shots in those fights, but she hung. And with Agapova, she needs to be the hammer. She's not a very particularly good nail. And you saw that in the Dobson fight. So why exactly did she gas out in the Dobson fight? Well, why was the read so bad for everybody there? The 16 to 1 favorite goes out and loses. But as it turns out, Maria Agapova, complete live wire, right? Apparently she's El Nutso and uh, is like her own weak, worst enemy. So she's training at American Top Team at the time. Okay. So I pull up this interview from Marina Moroz. Marina Moroz actually fought Sabina Mazzo as well and trains at American Top Team uh she's talking about uh she's talking about it right here she says uh, she says she doesn't have any money to uh, for food or to train i don't have this oh help morose said she wrecked a car in a drugged out state all this is she's a very interesting person she got kicked out of two other gyms and at american top team she threatened the guys it was all caught on camera she was under the influence of drugs she threatened the guys and she was kicked out of the team because she was threatening a stab and so forth also she stalked the wife she stalked the wife of a fighter who was pregnant. She also threatened to stab, she continued. In general, the police have been called here four times already. She broke the doors, and that's it. Maria Agapova, the UFC junkie. Many tried to help her uh, to get out of the hole, which she kept climbing and climbing, Moreau's compl- uh, states. 
She came to training after the club, after all these drugs, her pupils were dilated all the time. And when the coach said that I need to stand in a pair with her, I replied that I could not work with her. She's insane. She behaves inappropriately. She can swing her elbow to hit you, then say, oh, I'm sorry, I don't understand. Just an inadequate person. And yes, she was kicked out of the team because she behaves inappropriately. She lives very close uh, through a house in the community. And I see her very often, she continued. She's already crashed two cars. I don't even know how this happened because of so often that the police are called to come for her. In one month, the police came four times and they stood by Masha. That's what they, they call her, I guess, Masha. Uh, when I go to the pool, I pass by. There's Masha in handcuffs in a police car. <laughs> so anyways, she gets kicked out of American Top Team. Her manager comes to her defense, but her manager's claim is weird because he says, well, she's from Kazakhstan. We brought her over to America. She has no handler, no coach. No teammates from Kazakhstan, all by herself from Kazakhstan, right in South Florida, right? So it's just like it's when like those Borat, Amish kids, when like the Borat Amish parents are like, wrong. yeah, but it's like when, when you're in your Amish community and they're just like, you can go one week to Vegas and you either come back or you don't. You see those shows about the Amish kids that are like, I ain't going back. And a lot of them end up getting into a lot of trouble because they've never, you go from a small community where you see no action to the bright lights and a lot of the time it gets to you. So if you think this is just an old story that's since been resolved, like the manager seems to believe so, check out her Instagram, right? She leaves American Top Team and she goes over to MMA Masters. She's only at MMA Masters for two weeks. Then she goes over to Sanford MMA. She's only at Sanford MMA for about two weeks. Then she's at ATT Sunrise in Sunrise, Florida. It's an off-brand shoot. And she seems to just alternate between a different gym every other week. <laughs> so straight up, man, like, how how could we possibly bet on Maria Agapova? Just lost to Shayna Dobson. Skill-wise is actually not as good as, as this opponent to begin with. And life seems like a complete train wreck. Anyways, sold. Paul Jodice, they say don't buy too much into narratives, but I'm sold. I, I got to go with Sabina Mazzo to get the decision. Well, maybe not even decision. Let's just say Sabina Mazzo at 165 is good enough. Just take it straight up. I'm just flipping through Instagram here. Here's her... I mean, it almost there's like pictures of her with Jillian Robertson at ATT Sunrise. Yeah, yeah, and it almost looks like Jillian Robert Robertson's like smiling, almost as if like she's like a hostage. Are you at? Because there's a knife underneath the picture. It's just like <laughs> if you tell everybody we're not happy in this picture, you die. It's like oh no. But, but as you can see, she seems to be gym jumping around. She's still only 24, so she's not old enough that I think that she turned some type of corner. She hasn't fought since the you know, Dobson fight, which is a while ago. So ring rust, a tough opponent. And honestly, if you're the UFC, you're like, okay, we got Sabina Mazzo. When she was – oh, Sabina Mazzo's got a great story, man. She makes her MMA debut. She's like 19 years old against Alejandra Lara, who's 4-0 at the time, and ended up being a Bellator title challenger. Okay? Mm -hmm. Her next fight, she fights a girl that's 8-0. She's like 19 years old. She wins the LFA title. She signs to the UFC at like 20. She fights all the opponents they put in front of her, right? Mm -hmm. She's been at King's MMA, rock solid the entire way through. Benil Dariush loves her. Master Rafael Cordero loves her. Kelvin Gastelum loves her. Marvin Vittori loves her. Everyone says she's got great work. Like, this is the girl you're trying to promote, right? Yeah. Agapova is meanwhile just going to give her a fun-ass fight. And this is going to be a fun-ass fight. But cream usually rises to the top, and Mazo should win this fight. That's uh, that's all I really had to hear. And like, I mean, you kind of just look like from the metric standpoint. Like Mazo's, if she doesn't get taken down and controlled on the match, she's gonna land like a hundred significant strikes. That's just the way that she fights. 
And I can't say the same thing for Agapova. So, I mean, that was probably, that's the longest breakdown that we've had on the card. But story time with Saftik cannot be stopped. I was not getting in the way of that. Moving on down the card, we've got uh, Phil Haas taking on Duran Wynn. Minus 335 Haas, plus 260 Wynn. There's been a lot of steam coming in on Phil Haas um in the last like 24 hours this line moved from like minus 260 to minus 335 and i mean when you kind of start looking at the metrics of it you both you have two guys with excellent wrestling pedigrees taking on each other but one guy happens to be five foot six with a 70 inch reach and the other guy's an actual middleweight and uh, that's always going to be the problem with deron win it's just like and the and the thing about it too is I would say, hey, maybe maybe you should try to move to 170. It's like the guy, it's gonna be it's gonna be close on weigh-ins day to see if he actually makes weight at 185 pounds. He's super, super thick. Don't get me wrong. But I feel like Phil Haas's wrestling pedigree, wrestling background really negates what Deron Wynn is best at. Like you, you kind of run into what's Deron Wynn's real path to victory here. And it's you know Phil Haas and that chin hasn't been tested in a while and I wouldn't say Deron Wynn is like the greatest power puncher but he's got to land uh you know some sort of nuclear missile knock him out and that's the path to victory here Haas's chin has been compromised in the past obviously he's looked better um and we've all been kind of you know fading him hoping or waiting for that bad chin to show back up but I feel like it's pretty straightforward. It's like Haas should win this on the feet because he's got like an eight-inch reach advantage here. And Duran Wynn is going to struggle against decent-level competition at middleweight because he's just completely undersized. So the line is steep, but Phil Haas is the clear pick here. I don't think it's even really much of a debate. Uh, yeah, well, you know what, dude? I'm just, you know me. I'm not a Phil Haas guy. I never been a Phil Haas guy. So I would find it difficult to bet him as a top ticket play just because it is Phil Haas. I will ad- rightfully admit he looked way better in his last fight against Dokus than he had looked previously. And I don't think it's the, necessarily the question of chin checking him as much as you need to take him into deep waters and tire him out. Uh, if this is a fight, Phil Haas is going to end up winning the fight. And you mentioned it. He's a lot bigger than Deron Wynn. He's actually a lot more explosive, better striking technique. Since he left Jackson Wink and went down to Sanford MMA, shit, man. His, he's actually making a lot of improvements. But his cardio is still not that good. He's a fast twitch muscle athlete. He's very reactive. And when he tries to wrestle in his fights, he either gets the takedown or he's going to gas himself trying out. A lot of his wins are these quick first round knockouts where he explodes and knocks you out. Sure, he could knock out Deron Wynn. If he does not knock out Deron Wynn in the first round, he's going to run into some troubles. Now you mentioned the fact that his wrestling is good enough to negate Deron Wynn's. I don't think it is. You know, he did wrestle initially Iowa Community College and then was a uh, junior college national champion, right? Can't take that away from him. And then transferred out and wrestled briefly at uh, University of Iowa D1 program. But Deron Wynn's a two-time national champion, right? He's a, he was on the national team. Like, he, his, his wrestling's far better. If this is a fight... He's going to lose. If this is a wrestling match, he's got a good chance. The reason I say that is Deron wins one of these guys. He doesn't have great top control. A lot of the times in the UFC, he'll get his opponent to the ground and they just pop back up. But Phil Haas popping back up and then having to stuff another takedown and then circle off the cage and then stuff another takedown and then get back up, that's exhausting. And once Phil Haas is exhausted, he is not the same fighter that you believe he is. He falls off relatively quickly now when you look at the Nasruddin Imovov fight he's having his way he kicks his ass in the first round and then in the second and third round Paul he's shit gassed 
He's absolutely gassed. The problem is that Imovov's also gassed and doesn't have the wrestling to just get his back up against the cage. And then the Delkis fight, he didn't have to do much because he just got the takedowns. He looked good in the fight, don't get me wrong, but he got the takedowns. Against Deron Wynn, he's not going to take Deron Wynn down, which means he needs to outstrike him for 15 minutes. And can you point out to any single Phil Hawes fight that lasted more than two minutes when he just one-punched a guy, where he's struck for 15 minutes. No, he doesn't strike for 15 minutes. He always mixes in his wrestling because he starts to get tired and doesn't just want to stay in the open field. So he's an apple pie shitter. He's always been an apple pie shitter. He's always going to be an apple pie shitter. The problem is Drawn wins cardio is not quite good enough to 100% guarantee that we're taking this thing into deeper waters. This is a good live betting opportunity. If Wins survives the first round, I think he could start to turn the tide. And as far as the straight fight bet, yeah, I'm going to take Deron Win, But it's going to be right at the bottom of the PRP. Last, last point of the PRP. Because if it loses, whatever. I don't care about losing a PRP. I'm more focused on hitting my top ticket, my top two tickets for sure. But Hawes, right, is not going to cost me my tickets. Put it that way. So even if Deron Win doesn't win, I get it. It's not, I'm not going to have the most investment on it. But uh, yeah. I, I'm very conflicted. And again, I tried to just absolutely search anything I could on his Insta. And it doesn't seem like he's really training that much at American Kickboxing Academy anymore. He's mostly just coaching wrestling and doing wrestling classes at Guilfroy Wrestling, which is in Guilfroy, California, which is Daniel Cormier's wrestling academy. So, you know what? He's, he's probably not training at an elite level for a fight, but he's doing a shit ton of wrestling. And mm-hmm. if he's got any type of ring IQ, okay, just go and wrestle this guy. Same thing you did against Antonio Arroyo. Yeah, that Royal fight was a catchweight of 195, right? Royal's twice his size. Everyone's laughing at Wayne's. Oh my God, look at this. Royal's way bigger. Royal's a better striker. And what does he do? He just grinds on it. Then Royal tires. And then Wynn just keeps going because this is something he's done his entire life. Wrestle, right? It's going to be boring as shit. And people are going to be really upset. And they're not going to like the fight. I get it. But Deron Wynn fights that game plan. He can win this. He's a live underdog. Yeah, our boy Clint is going to be very happy to hear you say that. Is Clint on Duran win? Just, Let's go. Clint bangs out a big dog every now and again. I'm in on it for was, this one. This was That was his ad um, after, I think he was on Sam Page. And then, so he had a couple extra units in the in the barrel. And then he- I wasn't he on posted, Sam <laughs> by the po- way. No, but he posted <laughs> it as like a, a bet to make people mad. And I, I wanted to talk to you before, or before everything. And I, I kind of like, joked with them i was like you say that now until haas is on cody's top ticket but it sounds like haas is nowhere near your top ticket it sounds like deron win is the bottom ticket the bottom of the bottom because back in the but day hey, you and i would just say pass pass in this yeah, case i gotta make a pick where it'll Dog make you a mil- yeah it'll be that'll be an extra spicy prp with a plus 260 at the bottom if it All hits right. that's the goat shit right there <laughs> that would be the goat shit right there DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has a week five offer every football fan should jump on. New customers can bet just $1 on any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. The last 0-0 tie in the NFL was 1943, so I'd say this is a no-brainer. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code DOP, throw $1 down on any NFL game, and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a single point. That's promo code DOP this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner 
of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit and a $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling prompt? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, moving on down. We got Chris Gutierrez taking on Felipe Colares. Minus 265 Gutierrez, plus 215 Colares. Who you got here? Okay, this is a fight that's definitely got me worried. Chris Gutierrez, at the best of his abilities, definitely wins this fight. Yeah, he's given up a bunch of size and a bunch of length and a bunch of reach and this and that, but he's a much more refined kickboxer. He's going to have those leg kicks, those calf kicks, which he's starting to become known for, but he's also got much cleaner boxing technique, and that's the problem with Felipe Corrales is that he's extremely hittable, but has a cast iron chin, right? You saw him display it two times. It's not a fluke, right? Montel Jackson teed off on this guy, and he took him, man. He took him, and he kept coming, but he loses. Then Luke Sanders teed off on this guy, and, dude, he was rocked. He was wobbled. He hit the ground once, but, my God, he's got good cardio, and he just keeps coming at you, but it's not the greatest way to fight. If he needs to try to stand in front of Gutierrez and make this a dirty fight, Gutierrez is just going to outland him. I think he's going to pick his spots. He's going to stick and move. He's going to butcher that lead leg. He's going to slow this guy down, and he's just generally going to win those striking exchanges. The difference maker here is that Gutierrez is just recently awarded his BJJ purple belt, and so far grappling has most definitely been his kryptonite. So with Kolaris, if this fight does hit the ground, he's going to have that big advantage, man. And, you know, it's tough for me betting Chris Gutierrez after the Cody Durden fight Mm -hmm. because I taped the shit out of it, and he had the advantage everywhere except for, you know, don't get taken down and put yourself in a bad spot. Right away, he gets taken down, right, gives up his back, and this is the part that killed me. I don't care. You got taken down. Happens. And Cody Durden can wrestle. Let's not take that away from him. I don't care that you got your back taken, but – he sat there and just stood up and just like looked at the jumbotron and just like didn't do anything. He he was 10 aided in the first round and nothing happened because he just sat there. That was very, uh, you're not fighting from a dollar, right? You're not fighting to win this at all costs. You're being a little lackadaisical. Now he did win round two and three settled for a draw. I took a push. He was like a three to one favorite. So I was very happy to take the push, but it's just not a good performance, right? And against Andre Ewell, I mean, Andre Ewell actually did manage to take him down. And this is Andre Ewell we're talking not about. A so, no, no. And, and because if he's got that big, long frame, like it's not easy for him to really dig under and get the takedown. Now, mind you, it wasn't like, oh, you know, Gutierrez's wrestling is just so awful. Anybody can take him down. It's that that is going to be his problem going forward. And a big, long guy like Kolaris, who has the grappling advantage, could ever so slightly figure out a way how to exploit that, especially because his chin's so good that you're going to have to beat him over the course of 15 minutes, right? And over the course of 15 minutes, same thing as the Mackenzie Dern fight. She's got five rounds to work with. At some point, it probably does hit the ground. That's what makes it tough. When you look at Chris Gutierrez, I don't think he's ever had a fight where he did not give up one takedown, at least not when I tape studied. Uh, he gives up two against Ronnie Barcellos. He, yeah, okay. He cooks Vince Ryan Morales, McDonald. He, he gave up two against Geraldo. He landed leg kicks at will against uh, Vince Morales. Vince fought the worst game plan of all time. He stood, he right stood in there and just, yeah, just eight leg kicks. All fight. And Ryan, Ryan McDonald was the biggest fraud the UFC has seen in quite some time. And the, the very first fight on this card is a double fraud situation, right? So the UFC cans out contracts to anybody, and Ryan McDonald should not have been with the promotion. But then beyond that, you know, he's giving up takedowns in a lot of these spots. So if he does get taken down by Kolaris, I'm not going to be happy with it. But again, same thing as the Durden fight. If you give up a takedown, if you give up a couple bad grappling spots, but you can win me two of these three rounds on the basis of you are the more technical superior fighter, I'll take it. So I'm going to go to Gutierrez. Gutierrez by decision. 
Makes sense to me. All right, moving on down, we've got the uh, former tweets of mine. Romanov is Moldovan for quitter. Oscar-worthy <laughs> performance from Romanov. I had to drink a shoey because this guy quit in round three and still won. We got Alexander Romanov as a minus 650 favorite against Jan- Jared Vanderon, honestly. I mean, it was minus 350 the other day, and I... Romanov used to be my boy, and then me and you went head-to-head in uh, Espino versus Romanov, and I think Espino was about to take the kid's head off in round three. Romanov was gassed. He was. And he, I mean, he played the game. He played the game. He pulled an Aljo. Um, I mean, Aljo, in fairness, got a knee to the, to the skull. Um, but... <laughs> I mean, you watch the Spivak fight back, Vanderov versus Spivak, and it's just like, what is Sergei Spivak but a clone, essentially, uh, with, like, probably less effective wrestling than uh, than Romanov. Like, Romanov should be able to go out there. He should be able to get takedowns. He should be able to, when when he's on top, land ground and pound or go for, like, that the forearm choke. To him. <laughs> I, I understand. I understand where this price is going. Jerry Vander out, not exactly a heavy hitting uh, a heavyweight by any stretch of the imagination. He did look good in his last performance, but that was against Justin Taffa. You know what wasn't a threat in that fight? The takedown. Um, Romanov rolls here, and uh, maybe, maybe he can get a fan out of it. Maybe I can become a fan of his again. But uh, he broke my heart that day. Well, not really broke my heart because I was betting against him in fairness. But uh, he lost a fan that day. But he should win. He should roll here against Vandera. It's a it's an easy hey, setup. He should. This is a he much should, easier fight than Espino, and I, it's such it's weird matchmaking, isn't it? It's like you know he be, or he wins that fight against Espino, and then they give him Jared Vandera. Like it doesn't really make all that much sense. He should roll here. He's uh, minus six fifty for heavyweight. Is is obviously super super wide. But um, the the fact of the matter is, Vanderod doesn't exactly have like the the skill set that would concern me against Romanov. So it should be easy work for Alexander. Not great in this spot. You know what, man? When he was minus three fifty, which is the line opener, I was yeah. like, "Yep, yeah, top ticket material. This is the guy." You know, we'll build around that. At six fifty, though, yeah, you're right. It's a heavyweight fight. It's a middling heavyweight fight, and I. Don't quote me on this. I actually don't know the actual answer. And I looked, but I, I don't know where Romanov trains. Like, I think he still trains in Moldova. And that's a big red flag because I don't know how you're going to get better. I don't know who's pushing you. I don't know. Do you have a, bo- a room full of bodies that you're working with to continuously get better? Because if you're not, you're just kind of doing your own thing. I know he spent some time in like Maryland. It's just super random. Like you need to put this guy in an elite camp. If you put him on American top team, he could work out with some of the best heavyweights in the sport and, you know, fill out that gas tank. He's an extremely athletic heavyweight. He actually comes from a sumo base. He's a Moldovian amateur wrestling champion, but he comes from a, a sumo base. And he's just super mobile for a big guy, right? Push you up against the cage, peel you to the ground, you know, and just batter you. His UFC debut against Roque Martinez. We film studied him. He looked legit. So mm-hmm. I'm all in against Roque Martinez. His striking is a little bit predictable. He'll like to just club you with the big right hand, close the distance, press you up against the cage. I liked his mobility in that fight. I didn't necessarily love his ring IQ, but once he eventually hit the fight to the ground, he gets a submission. He pounded on Roke with two-handed ground-and-pound shots. 
it was cool times. I'm all over him against Marcos Rogerio de Lima, and he looks like shit in the first two minutes. He's standing in front of de Lima. He's eating big leg kicks. His mm-hmm. striking does not look like it's improved one lick, but he eventually takes the fight to the ground and he gets a forearm choke, which almost never happens, at least not since 1997, right? So, you know, it's a it's another win over low-level guy in low-level fashion, if we're being quite honest. But he's my guy. We're rolling with him. So you like Espino, but I got to roll with my guy. First round, my guy looks pretty good, but I can't say any much better than Espino. I just thought he did win the first round. The second round, the wheels fall right off. Like, he completely gassed. Espino was a better wrestler. He was a better grappler. Once he was able to take him in some deeper waters, you saw Romanov tire out and not know what to do, and Espino's taking over this fight. Yes, Romanov is lucky to have gotten the decision victory out of it because it probably should have been scored. Espino, and how do you even score the third round anyway? So that's the big debate there. But do you know, do you know why Espino was otherwise on his way to winning that fight? the back class he was at american top team he was training with some of the best guys in the sport and he knew what to do when the going got tough so if romanov hasn't improved that he could run into one issue with jared vandera if he does not take him down or if he fails to take him down jared vandera is a better striker than him vandera is a big boy right 6'4 265 but beyond that is striking against junior or justin toffa looked actually vastly improved right mm. he stood in front of him he t- absorbed some big shots his cardio for a heavyweight checked out. His pace checked out. And, geez, man, his striking looked a lot improved. Now, you go back to the Spivak fight, he's getting taken down like nothing and he's getting pounded on. But he still makes it almost through two full rounds. And he took a lot of shots in that Spivak fight before they eventually called it off. That's also his UFC debut. And he's coming off a win over Harry Hunsucker before that. So there's a big jump in, in talent. All I'm saying is... you. I'm on the same page with you. Romanov takes him down in the first round, TKOs him, and we go home happy, and we're super cool with that. Romanov takes him down, pounds on him in the first round, doesn't finish him. We're going to start getting into some deeper, greasier waters for a minus 650 favorite because we're giving up the cardio advantage, we're giving up the striking advantage, and we're giving up we have bad ring IQ. Well, and pretty good ring IQ training to know anywhere. that you're up two rounds and then, you know, be like, oh, I can't continue. Uh, yeah, but, 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 but... If you were to if you were to get up right now and well when the show is done and be like you know what I'm gonna run 5k right now I, f- I haven't ran in a long time and I certainly haven't ran 5k in a long time let me put my shoes on you get out the door you'd head down the road you'd be like fuck I, feel- oh, I said I swear okay uh, we're talking about the Vander fight mental note <laughs> mark right? that down you'd be like, geez, I- yeah geez geez I feel pretty good right and then you'd get to the end of the block and you your brain is telling you like go home. What are you doing? You're, no, no, no. Got to get the 5K. You got to flush out. And oh, I got to go. I got to go. In this case, he wins the first round. Now that you're losing the second round, your brain is kicking in to tell you, dude, like, you, dude, you don't want it. You're losing. You're tired. Oh, now we got to fight a third round. We just lost the second round. You're tired. Do you think you can do any better in the third round than you did in the second round? And the second round wasn't enough. It, it's all self-doubt. So then when you take that foul and your brain's like, this is our chance. Well, you might take it. Now, did Aljo fake it? Well, I thought Aljo faked it. And Diego Sanchez versus Michelle Pereira, like, yeah, yeah. Could he have continued? Probably, right? But those are, yeah, those are savvy moves. Both guys got a win out of it. And both guys got a full paycheck and, in Aljo's case, a world title. So Romanov did the same thing. Is it a savvy veteran move or is it a sign of, like, you're not – you know guys like Darren Elkins, right? You know guys like Jared Gordon, like those guys when they're like, "Can you continue?" They're like, "Yeah." And you're like, no, "Well, can half, you actually?" Half but they just say yes. Melting off, like, yeah. Yeah, Darren, Brian Ortega. He's like, never, he's like, how many fingers? He's like, we would have said that we would never have had Diego Sanchez in that situation either, though. 
But then he got that coach. And that coach was <laughs> an absolute cancer. But, uh, yeah, uh, Darren Elkins, the damage. Dar- Darren the damage Elkins never pulls a stunt like any of this. No, and I Ever. like betting on guys like that. But I would have said the same thing about Diego Sanchez five years ago, too. So you never know. If yeah, uh, if Darren Elkins gets his own, uh, what was the name of that guy? The weirdo? uh joshua fabian yeah joshua fabian if darren elkins gets his own joshua fabian well look out anyway moving on down the car we got uh damon jackson taking on charles rosa minus 180 jackson plus 155 rosa interesting little tidbit here cody going back to 2014 charles rosa has all i'm not even going to do the win loss win loss he has alternated lot wins and losses the entirety of his <laughs> UFC career. And he's coming off of a win against Justin Janes. Where I, I feel like it's with him, it's getting ever more clear. It's like there is really not much of a striking game plan here. Um, it, He literally is just, you know, he's flopping to his back. He wants nothing to do with like on the feet. I, I think Damon Jackson, I'm not usually a Damon Jackson guy, but... I've I've seen more from Damon Jackson on the feet um, to lead me to believe that this line is probably at least correct. Uh, is Charles uh, Charles Rosa may I think he he's a black belt as opposed to Damon Jackson being like a purple belt in BJJ. But um, if this fight if if the if the grappling ends up being negated and this fight takes place on the feet, I haven't seen anything from Charles Rosa in a long time to lead me to believe that he can win a stand up fight against anybody at this point. Um, so Damon Jackson is the pick. What's yours? I'm going to go with the underdog, Charles Rosa. So you're right, right? Have we seen any type of elite striking out of Charles Rosa? No. Have you seen any type of elite striking out of Damon Jackson? Is Damon Jackson the guy to hang your hat on in the striking exchange? Like, I don't know, man. The one thing Charles Rosa... No, I know. I know what you're saying. He's minus 190. or He's a minus 180 favorite. Uh, it's a head scratcher to me personally, but I'm going to go with the other dog, Charles Rosa. Uh, with Damon Jackson, again, this is a guy that is talented enough, but he's 33 years old. He's been knocked out brutally three times in his career. Not that Charles Rosa is going to knock him out, but I struggle to find out what's the best part of his game. Now, he is a pressure fighter. He does stay in your face. His grappling is opportunistic. He loves throwing up submissions, but it's not like his striking is all that good. Uh, he's generally, for the most part, throwing up on the lower side of, of all-around volume. He's only a BJJ purple belt, like you mentioned, but his takedown, at least in the UFC, he's shooting at a 20% accuracy, 20%. So Charles Rosa loses fights all the time, right? Charles Rosa typically loses fights because the guy's taking him down. That's the way to beat Charles Rosa, take him down. Because Charles Rosa's got this lull where when he hits his back, he's like, I'm a BJJ block belt. I'm going to try to throw up submissions. Don't throw up submissions, man. Create space. Get up to your feet. Scramble. That's, that's how you win a fight. But these guys are so comfortable, and they I'm not, I'm okay defensively. They know they're not going to get hurt, and so they just stay there far too long. So Charles Rosa oftentimes gives up rounds just on the basis of being on his back. But beyond that, I mean, his grappling solid. BJJ Blackwell, as you mentioned, he's got all those losses, sure. Never been submitted in his professional career. Only been knocked out once in his professional career, and it was against Shane Burgos in a fight that he was otherwise winning. 
right? We talk about he's got bad striking, but he was outstriking Shane Burgos through the first two rounds. You know why? It's because he's good at evading on the on his back foot, kick to the body, straight left down the middle, and then keep moving. But when you kill the distance, you get a hold of him, you wrangle him to the ground. Well, that's where he's struggling mightily. You know, Bryce Mitchell is a heavy grappler. Derek Minner is a heavy grappler. Yair Rodriguez was a top five guy at the time. Even Dennis Seaver relied on wrestling to get the job done against Charles Rosa. So the blueprint's been created on how to beat him, but I can't say for sure that Damon Jackson is able to follow that blueprint of getting the fight to the ground. Probably more often than not, he's going to try to pressure him. He's going to try to get in his face, and he's going to be chasing Charles Rosa around the ring. He's going to be coming forward, trying to land hands. Charles Rosa is just going to be dipping out, backing up, landing counter strikes. And that's actually exactly how... Charles Rosa's fight with uh, Kevin Aguilar went down. He got the split decision win in that fight. Why? Aguilar moved forward the whole time, throwing hands. And Charles Rosa just backpedaled, kicked to the body, threw with the left hand, and moved out of his way. The judges ended up going with that. So it's the type of style that's going to lead to a close fight. I just think he's going to end up getting the nod in that close fight. And yeah, Justin James is bad, and it's a split decision win, so it doesn't look good, but... He almost got knocked out late, this and that. He won that fight. He fought an excellent game plan, uh, game plan against Justin James. He fought a good game plan against Kevin Aguilar. His submission went over his Manny Bermuda. Is that some high-level stuff? It's the grappling. Derek Minner and Bryce Mitchell, they truly did present how do you defeat this guy the easiest way. And again, I just don't think Damon Jackson is on a level of a Bryce Mitchell or a Derek Minner, not all that good in my opinion. But he's a power grappler. Again, something that Damon Jackson just is not. He's a BJJ black belt, something that Damon Jackson is not. Fair. So he's a lot, he's gonna be a much more difficult opponent for Charles Rosa, I believe. So in this, in this particular spot, I think that he's gonna have path to victory at least. And if they're gonna give me plus 150 on it, again, is this my top ticket? No, no. Is this mid-range ticket? I would hope not. But as far as like you, you've been seeing on these uh, tickets are parlayed. So if you look at 266, it's a 13 fight card, two underdogs, and an even money pick. So, yeah, I only actually hit 200 dogs on that card in an even money pick, but it was actually mostly at the bottom. We're, our trustworthy stuff's at top. We hit it all. We're good. Last week, it's the same thing. There was, should have been 300 dogs, goddamn Kyle Dokus, but it was the same thing, right? You keep your limited exposure to those guys. I fully understand Charles Rose is the underdog. I just don't understand why he's this big of an underdog. I think he's live in the spot. And yeah, you think your streak. You think if it's more of a streak 50, makes 50. a whole lot of sense. The only thing I'm praying, you know, the you know me with is like, Roxanne you know, Modafferi had a very similar streak and that got ixnade that got broken. So it's all just superstition. You know me with my stupid streaks. It doesn't really mean anything. I like it too. I wrote, we wrote that round of I mean, it's, it's actually kind of, I mean, he's went back. Yeah, win, loss, win, loss his entire career. He's hoping to break that trend against Damon Jackson. A lot of what you make, say makes sense, though. Does Damon Jackson win 60, 65% of the time against Charles Rosa? It doesn't. No, it's probably closer to a pick em. So I, I think you're kind of you're right there. I mean, it's not one that it's not a fight that I'm going to be uh, attaching any serious cash to by any stretch of the imagination. All right, we've got Lupi Godinez taking on Silvana Gomez Juarez. Uh, Lupi Godinez, a minus 360 favorite. Juarez can be had for plus 285. Godinez was supposed to take on Sam Hughes. Sam Hughes out. Silvana Gomez Juarez is in. Watch a little bit of tape on her. I wasn't really able to discern all that much from her. Lupi Godinez in her debut loses to Jessica Penne. This is a big old mess. Can you help uh, walk me through this one? Because... I don't know what to what to think, but 
parlay or having yeah I, I just have no interest in laying the wood at minus 360 on on loopy godness the juarez girl didn't look horrible on tape and i only watched a couple of her like regional regional level fights she didn't look horrible but i don't know what to expect from her on on short notice you know obviously tune into the weigh-ins everything like that but do you have like a hot take on this one no, no, I don't really want to lay, lay three to one on Lupita Godinez because I laid three to one on Lupita Godinez in her last fight against Jessica Panay. And it's not that she couldn't have won that fight. It's not that I personally didn't think she actually did win that fight. Mm-hmm. It's the ring IQ, man. Like, calm on. Do not let her just arm drag to a back take and just cling on to you for dear life. Like, you got to do something. She just fought a strange overall game plan. So, yeah, in this case, she's supposed to fight Sarah Alpar. The fight gets canceled. She gets a fight with Sam Hughes. The fight gets canceled. She's now taking on Silviana Gomez-Juarez, 36-year-old fighter. And I know a lot of people are just – the line looks like anyways. They're just seeing that as like, oh, dude, Juarez is taking the fight on a week's notice. That's really short notice. She's actually supposed to fight on Tuesday on the contender series. Oh, there we go. So she's not on short notice. She's actually just fighting three days earlier so. She's going to be in good shape. The weight's not going to be a problem. And to be honest with you, I've seen her fight a few times for uh, Kombachi Americas and Lux Fight League. She's talented, man. She's aggressive. She's a good enough striker. She likes to go out there and get the finish. She's going to be one of these pressure-type fighters. But I would feel like Lupita Gonez has the crisper boxing technique. She's already got one fight in the UFC. You know, that does mean something as far as experience goes and getting the jitters out of the way. They're fighting at the apex. I don't know really who that benefits anybody. But I would th- my pick would be Lupita Gonez. My two issues here is one, the fight just got announced yesterday. So straight up, I would love to just dive a lot more into this before mm-hmm. I'm confident either side of it. And yeah, that, that that's about it. The lines we've already missed the line. I don't know what it opened at, but this just seems like a, a pretty wide line, all things considered. That's kind of where I'm at on this one. It's going to end up being a close fight. It's going to probably end up going three rounds and being relatively competitive both ways. And would you want a three to one favorite? Well, I thought the other girl was on short notice. Well, she's not. So take that off the table. Do you still like this girl at minus 325? Like, not overly. So I, I actually thought Lupita Gobinez, uh was going to be a decent bet this week over Sam Hughes. Sorry, Clint. I heard you were going Sam Hughes' way. But I, I thought that was a decent spot because it was going to be a striking affair. She's going to win said striking affair. In this case, it's still going to be a striking affair. There's just a lot of more uh, more intangibles, right? And uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's going to be a Godinez play for me on the show we're gonna do picks right now so it's gonna be godiness play but still confidence level not where i want it to be to figure out where i'm putting it up on the takers it's funny i was trying to look up to see uh i was trying to uh, on best best fight odds they don't even have that fight listed right now for whatever reason I was trying to look to see uh, if maybe do they, it, and do they have the contender series odds already out for next week? No, no. no I was trying to I was trying to look up uh, Godinez versus Juarez because I got this line from it wasn't on DraftKings Sportsbook yet because there's like basically none of the books like there's no totals for it yet. But for right. whatever reason, it's not even. Up I got on. the over as far as a total. Well, goes. that's where like, I got Juarez like the minus a, the minus Juarez three sixty plus two eighty five was uh, you know the opener on uh, Bet Online. Was that's that's where I got that number from, but now I don't even see it anywhere. So then I was looking on Twitter to see if uh, if something uh, if something happened and maybe that fight fell through. Well, I guess only time will tell. But uh, sounds like yeah, we're both uh, a little little bit scared. Wait wait till weigh-ins. And finally, we got uh, Steve Garcia taking on Charlie Ontiveros. Steve Garcia a minus three twenty. Charlie Ontiveros plus two. 
50. I mean, Ontiveros came in. This is, I mean, the guy came in, ultra, ultra short notice at 185 pounds, got out-wrestled by Kevin Holland, and got, like, severely injured by Kevin Holland thought, on oh, that first okay. takedown. I mean, it's going to... He should have some size here, I imagine. Like, I think he was saying after that fight that he was going to come up to... Or he's going to go down to 170. He thought that was the better weight class for him. Now he's coming down from 185 all the way down to 155. I mean, I don't... I have next to no interest in betting Charlie Ontiveros against anybody at the UFC level. It'll be interesting to see the weigh-ins. Garcia trains out of uh, uh, Jackson Wink. He seems pretty decent. A lot of, uh, you know, pressure fighter comes forward, throwing heavy, heavy hands. But minus 320 on him. Yeah, definitely, you're almost playing the price of like, oh my god, Ontiveros looks so bad. And she's like, well, hold up just a second. He looked really bad. And Kevin Holland, you know, me, we may crap on him a little bit on this program sometimes, but like, he's he's a decent middleweight. He is a yeah. fringe top fifteen middleweight in the world. And Ontiveros came in on absolutely no notice. He could be absolutely monstrous at this weight class. So stepping in front of the train at minus 320 seems a little bit risky to me. Um, do you have a strong lean on this one? Because, like, I think weigh-ins is very important. Like, how is Ontiveros going to get down to 155 pounds? Yeah, well, actually, so this one's real funny when you consider that Charlie Ontiveros, well, he's not coming down from 185. He's coming down from 182. When he weighed in Fair. against Kevin Holland, he came in at 182. He's not a middleweight. He's a welterweight. He took that fight on short notice. He probably walks around at 182 pounds, mm-hmm. and he's coming down from there. And then you're right. Now he's dropping down to 155. He's six foot two. Six foot two with like a 78 inch reach or something stupid. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, six foot two with a 78 inch reach. It's like, oh man, he's going to be an absolute monster. You take that, and you also factor in Steve Garcia. 2018 is fighting at 135 pounds. Okay. Yep. In late 2018, 135. He then goes to a catch weight of 140, wins it. He comes on a contender series and botches his weight cut, weighs in at 139. Wins. They don't give him a contract because he missed the weight cut. He goes to LFA. He tries to weigh at 145. He misses weight there too, 147.4. So he's a bantam weight who now misses weight at bantam weight, misses weight at featherweight, and then takes a short notice fight in, in, against Luis Pena and got dominated mm-hmm. in his USC just debut back, at 155 yeah, pounds. Back triangle, basically. Yeah, yeah, like just couldn't do nothing. Actually, it was weird because at one point, he's just two-handed punching Luis Pena in the face. Like, doesn't even care about getting rear naked choke because Pena's not even, like, trying, you know? Pena's just body triangled. It's a very odd fight. But since then, he got booked against uh, Pete Barrett, and he pulled out. You know he's hurting if you're turning down a fight with Pete Barrett, man. You must have a broken femur or something. And then he pulls out of a Charles Jordan fight as well. So something might be a little off with him. He hasn't fought some 18 months. That's yep. all going to be a little bit nervous. But to be quite honest, even though you got one guy coming down from middleweight, you know, welterweight, and one guy coming up from bantamweight, like Garcia, I don't know how he ever made 135. He's six feet tall. He's a gigantic mm-hmm. bantamweight. You know, he was an okay size featherweight. And as far as being a lightweight goes, I think he's going to be okay. Charlie, meanwhile, when you sign up to be a professional fighter, you're going to need a few things. You're going to need heart, right? And I think Charlie's got it. You're going to need balls. Charlie's definitely got it. But you're going to need a chin, durability. 
Charlie don't got that. No. You look at all of his losses. I mean, all of his losses. Todd Moore, first loss, knocked out, second round, obliterated. Holy shit, dude. It's a nasty elbow. Rashid Abdullah, rib injury. Oh, isn't that convenient? You know, he gets injured during the fight because you're going to see that happen again. Uh, Jeff Neal, right? Doctor stops it, throws in the towel. Don't want no more. Michael Page, fuck. In first fairness, knockout, in right? fairness to him, him, they have thrown Nikolai, him. In. They have thrown well, him in there yes against no. some decent talents. Like he has definitely been there to yes. be the uh, not. He's he's definitely the nail in a lot of these matchups. Well, you know what, actually, so Todd Moore was a Texas legend, dude. Texas legend, fun dream, pretty badass. Uh, Rashid Abdullah is three and seven, by the way. He, that's the guy he lost a rib injury to. The three and seven opponent, well, I'm talking more Texas about guy, Jeff Neal. Jeff Neal, Michael Page. Jeff Neal was yeah, top top Texas guy. Michael Page is the outlier there. Uh, Nikolai Vretnikov is originally from Czech, or he's originally from Kazakhstan. Now lives in Texas. And you just saw him lose on the Ultimate Fighter, or not the Ultimate Fighter, Dana White's in tennis series two weeks ago. Terrible. Mm-hmm. Again, he took some out in the first round. Will Morris is 1-0, Paul. He's 1-0. It took him a minute and three seconds to punch out Charlie Ontiveros, who had 14 pro fights and had fought in good level of competition. He just can't take a punch. Yeah. And then the Kevin Holland fight, I was, uh, this has not happened to me, and I couldn't even tell you the last time it happened to me. Not an UFC fight, anyways. Roger Huerta versus Zora Bobble Moreira Jr. in 1FC probably last time. I thought he was dead, dude. Like The way he, he smashed his face into the canvas and was just like out, neck injury via slam, the way he was like stretchered out yeah. on the canvas for 10 minutes, that was a scary sight. I don't wish that on anybody. And so what the UFC does well is they got Charlie Ontiveros, who shouldn't be in the UFC. He's a, li- he's a liability. All of the guys that have defeated him, he's lost every single fight inside of the distance. Okay, he can't take a punch. And now we're, we're speculating 55 is a better weight class for him. Is it? Is he not going to have a bad weight cut? He's six foot two. He's fought his entire career at buck 70. He's probably going to have a bad weight cut. He's probably not going to be able to take the punch. He's a liability, right? But he did you a favor taking the Kevin Holland fight on, on short notice. So you kind of do owe him one fight. So they give him a Steve Garcia, a former bantamweight, who even though shows a lot of wins by knockout, not going to be as heavy as a hitter as a guy that's natural to the weight class. And it's two guys that both of them, if they were on contender series, it wouldn't be the main event on a contender series. Both of these guys are not quality fighters, but the UFC matches them up with each other because they're not trying to get anybody killed. And so when you see Dana White come out there and, and you know talk about BKFC and the negligence, like I will give the UFC that. We do see mismatches here and there. They're not looking to get anybody seriously injured. And in Charlie Ontiveros' case, I think they've matched this up to him so that He's going to lose, but they've given him the, his best chance to potentially get a victory. If he could take down Garcia and hold him down and now grapple him, that would be his path. But if he plans on standing in front of him and swinging bangs, bombs, sorry, for 15, it's not going to go good. So no. I, got, I got Steve Garcia. Do I want him as a 3-1 to one favorite? No, but I have him as a 3-1 to one favorite, so say la vie. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... If like what would be his path to victory without throw like standing in there and throwing bombs? Like would he have for a Garcia? Yeah, or no for Ontiveros. Yeah, well that's the thing. Like, he's what just, is he's, what he's is inept? He's inept as a grappler. Like I don't know. So he's he's a brawler with no chin, who's coming down from a weight class weight uh, from being considerably bigger than 155 pounds. So you imagine he's got to be pretty depleted when he gets down to 155. Like this just—it just sounds like it just sounds bad for business. Well, and then the other has he ever been down to 155? I'm scrolling through here. 
Nope. Um, I don't think so because I recognize a lot of the names on his record, and they were all welterweights. Oh, he's one sixty-eight point six against Nikolai Veretnikov when he got a knee to the body and was finished in the first round. Well, he always get he he gets finished real early, and I just don't think a big weight cut's gonna. Here's here's the last thing you need to consider, right? When you look at his wins, oh shit, his last three wins are by knockout. His last four wins, that fourth win down is actually illegal stomps. <laughs> he won the fight because his opponent illegally stomped him, right? I should watch that fight. What the hell really happened there? Anyway, so his last three wins are by knockout. So that leads you to believe, oh, well, it's striker versus striker and puncher's chance and this and that. Okay, well, keep in mind, the one guy's got seven pro losses, all seven of them inside the distance, and has shown an inability to take a punch. And in Steve Garcia's case, he's got four losses. He's never been knocked out. Went the distance with Luis Pena, got rear naked choked by Elon Cruz, Went the distance with Joe Warren. I mean, that's a decent fight. Went the distance with Ricky Tercios, which is a decent fight. Shows wins over Kin Moy, Cody Walker. Those were you know, Sean Bunch. You know, he's an AKA wrestling coach. Like uh, uh, Ronnie Lawrence. Ronnie Lawrence is in the UFC right now and dope, right? So Steve Garcia has got way more experience against way better guys. The only thing is, you know what? This is as easy as this fight comes down to. One guy is fought world-class competition at 135 pounds, and one guy has fought abysmal competition, got smoked out of there when he does step up at a higher weight class. Well, who has the advantage? A guy that's good, but he's small, or a guy that's not good and just happens to be a little bit bigger? Like, I got to go with skill. Skill usually wins. There's a lot of variances in MMA. Anything can happen. We understand punches chance. We understand you're not going to always get them right. But skill usually does outright win. we got to go with the more skillful guy here. Makes a lot of sense to me. All right. Usually this is the point where I say what bets I'm on. But uh, Mayo's kids got me deathly ill. I was, uh, you know, questionable. I had a Q tag heading into uh, hosting today's show because I was just violently ill. I told producer Matt all about it. I'll save you guys all of the the disgusting details of it i heard it pre-show i was thinking i was like why is he even telling me this just tell me you're sick <laughs> i don't need to i don't need to hear how Nobody sick. Heard it was it. Uh, it was quite the story dude it was right before we got on the program cody <laughs> yeah cody didn't have to uh, yeah i didn't i told cody all the the vicious details of it but uh <laughs> Yeah, nobody else needs to know. Nobody, that was on the tape prior to this. So, yeah, I, I actually don't even have any bets uh, in, in place coming on to this program this week, unfortunately. But, I mean, when the kid's so hot, everyone, let's face it, everyone's tuning in to hear the PRP. So, why don't you hit him with the PRP there, kid? And with the PRP, I'm going to go with Mackenzie Dern. We're going to go Randy Brown, Matus Nikolaou, Sabina Mazzo, Duran Wynn, underdog number one, Chris Gutierrez, Alexander Romanov, Charles Rosa, dog number two, Lupita Godinez, Steve Garcia. So two underdogs, 10 fight card. Again, if you look at 266, it's a 13 fight card. I think two dogs and an even money. And then last week, same thing. It's, it's well, it ended up being an 11 fight card, I suppose, in the end. But yeah, you don't got to overextend yourself in these big underdogs, take these shots in these big underdogs. Let's just get the two or three that we like. And in this case, I'm hoping those two or three, Charles Rosa and Duran win. I can see that going south for sure. If you've listened to the episode to this point, you probably see that's like not the most confident in a lot of them. So to just try to brief out, Randy Brown's going to have to be used, maybe not necessarily top ticket, but he's going to have to be up there. Matus Nikolaou, we're going to have to use him up there. Sabina Mazzo, we're going to have to use her up there. Gutierrez could be on the second or the th- third ticket. Romanov? I don't think I make him top ticket. I think I make him second ticket just in case he shits in that pie. 
doesn't ruin everything for me. That's fair. And then that, and then, and then Steve Garcia should be a top two ticket guy. And Lupita Godinez, she's got the kind of pricing, but I got to look at that. Just not comfortable there. I got to look at that one all over again. So those are the basis of it. The rest of the stuff is going to come below, below. And if things go to plan and things go to corning, uh, I just say God willing, but whatever you believe in, whatever you believe in willing, yeah, let's hit this another PRP. Let's hit as many tickets as we can. Like I said, it's always gravy. It's always, you know, extra on the side if we can go all the way. But the main thing is put them in order of most confident to least confident. Mm -hmm. In case somebody happens to do, you know, make a bonehead decision, let's keep that core intact, the basis of it, and go from there. So I I don't love this card, but I haven't loved cards in the past. And things have worked out pretty good. So you just got to do the research and uh, and lay your lay your bullets on the table. All right. Well, I, I saw the George Gennaro. I'm probably yeah, mispronouncing good guy. it. I don't know how to pronounce the last name, but yeah, yeah. He said guy. that you know the 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 Cody Jesus. I think it was Jesse Lapine who made that uh, who made that Photoshop. I also, if you hit the PRP on this card, I also <laughs> will turn my uh, avatar into that picture for at least like a couple weeks. This is this well, is a tough, yeah. this is a tough the, card to hit the PRP. Yeah, but, the odds uh, are definitely stacked against us. But I will tell you something: you are actually Disciple Paul. Yeah, isn't that ironic enough? You're actually uh, named after a disciple to begin with, and you have uh, your name's John Paul, by the way. Anyways, John Paul, my disciple, because you actually kicked off this whole thing. We did a show, and you were like, "Ah, I don't do parlays anymore." I hadn't been betting those them days for like, are over, kids. I'm I done with parlays. I just didn't mention it, but I hadn't <laughs> been betting them for like. Three or four months. Yeah. So not everyone's talking about a, a shag people... curse. I, I wanna I think that I just whipped you in back into gear. I got you fired up and unstoppable. So I, I think it's a two it's a it's a team effort really. Yeah, and you know what? I've always mentioned, I was like, listen, you're going to hit a PRP, at least from my own personal experience, you're gonna hit a UFC PRP. Once every 12 months, right? Well, That's what you're trying to gauge that. Yeah, yeah, most yeah. Aren't and you. Well, okay, fair enough. So at least in my experience, the last six years is you're going to hit one a year, right? And when you do, that's when you're making a big chunk of money, one go. So we actually hit, Pogi Rob hit a huge PRP the last card of the year in December. We crushed that last card of December, made a whole bunch of money. And then to start 2021, we were getting owned. We got mm-hmm. owned like the first three events. I think we got owned four of the first six events. Like it wasn't a great start to the year, but it's a long year, right? There's fights every weekend. So you can't fret on a bad weekend. You just got to keep going at it. And I get parlays aren't for everybody and there's more risk. And one person screws it up and costs you money. And now you, you look at it like you had a bad night, but I watch fights every weekend. It doesn't really matter. Win or lose, you know, it's just, this is who I am, right? You just keep continuously grinding forward. But yeah, we hit a Bellator PRP earlier in the year for nine fights this year. And we've hit a PFL parlay so far this year for 10 fights. And now to hit two UFC parlays, it's just like a statistical anomaly. But, you know, and they say when you're hot, you're hot. And sometimes that's all that matters. But do your own research, man. Just don't blindly tail somebody. I think one thing that's great about our show is that we've always tried to be entertaining but informative and all we're doing is just giving people our opinions our leans our takes our narratives and ultimately you make your own decision so if you don't agree with something i said don't just look at it like well he's right i'm wrong and that's not how it works man you like something you trust your gut always go with your gut first and foremost and if you're someone that just logs into twitter 
half hour before the fight starts and you just grab the PRP online, whatever, that's okay too. I'm just trying to win the people money. So I really don't care how you get it done. But if you sit here and you listen to the episode and you take down notes and you compare with stuff that you've already thought to yourself, that's the way to do it, man. And you do it that way, you're going to be long, you're going to be long-term successful. Whether or not I get hit by a bus and I'm not around, you know, just keep smart, do the research, go with your gut. You're going to be okay in the long run. But uh, yeah, if I can make you guys a bunch of money until I get hit by that bus, I'm all for it, Paul Shaughnessy. So let's get after it. You may send the bus into flames based on how you've been running on the UFC. So any bus better watch out if Cody Saptic is watching, walking across the street <laughs> right now. I'm only kidding. But anyway, that is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For producer Matt and Cody, I'm Paul saying goodbye and good luck. Oh, oh, oh. Oh.